Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 3rd. On today's show, I want to focus on a couple of things. More broadly, the WTA action happening this week in Mexico and France. In particular, I want to focus on the heartwarming performances from a couple of Ukrainians. Alina Svitolina, Diana Yastremska, each advancing to the quarterfinals in their respective events to see the energy, the effort, the intensity, the passion with which each of them are playing on court, in particular given the context that their home country right now under invasion from Russia. Of course, they are thinking about their families, their loved ones in their homeland, and to see them perform the way they have on court, just such an inspiring thing for all of us tennis fans to enjoy. I want to focus in on their performances, want to talk about where they are at each respectively right now in their careers, and then of course, touch on the other results we We've seen in both Mexico and France. Of course, I got to talk about some of the off-court news at the top of our show as well. We learned Ashley Barty, Danielle Collins, your Australian Open champion and finalist respectively in singles. They're both out of Indian Wells as each is nursing various injuries. We found out Ashley Barty out of Miami as well, where she's the defending champion. Want to talk about the impact of that decision on the rest of the field. And then I do want to offer my thoughts on Novak Djokovic parting ways with his longtime coach Marin Vida and you know of course for Novak Djokovic at this point of his career does he even need coaching what does a coach do for Novak Djokovic at this point that's a topic I want to explore here on today's show and then I want to preview our Friday coverage of the SEC uh, tennis happening across the country we are so fortunate to be kicking off our SEC red zone broadcasts here this week for those of you listeners not aware we're going to be able to broadcast fantastic college tennis now throughout the rest of this 20 22 season. Every Friday, we're going to be doing our Red Zone broadcast for the SEC. You're going to be able to find that coverage on each of the SEC team websites. Of course, on Sundays on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we're going to have a Red Zone for Big Ten action happening across the country. So Fridays, SEC on the team website. Sunday, Big Ten on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Plenty of broadcast coverage of some of the best tennis happening anywhere across the world. And again, It's a relatively tame week before the storm of Indian Wells and Miami, so perhaps this is the weekend you make that choice. Dive into the college tennis world with us. There's no football happening on Sundays. What else are you going to be doing, folks? Come join us for the weekend of spectacular college tennis happening across the country. Before I can get into any of that, though, I want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon. 
Patreon family and, of course, here on the Mini Break Podcast because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. You use that promo code CR15. You're going to get access to the latest and greatest tennis equipment at the best prices. Of course, with the use of that promo code, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You also let them know we sent you there, which we here at Cracked Rackets greatly appreciate. Tennis-point.com. We've been so immensely grateful for their support. The least we can ask you to do, support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's start with the off-court news. In particular, the fact that Danielle Collins out of the 2020 uh, – Danielle Collins and Ashley Barty, excuse me, out of the 2022 Indian Wells. And, you know, why is that significant? Well, the obvious reason for Ashley Barty is pretty unequivocally she's the best player in the world right now. You look at the 2022 stats. There are three players who rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Ashley Barty is one of those three players. And of course, right now, she's got a 5% edge on the second place person in terms of hold percentage here in 2022. You look for Ashley Barty. She's holding serve at a ridiculous rate to start the season, 94.1%. Excuse me. She's got an 11.1% lead on the next person. 11.1, excuse me, 10.8% lead on Elena Rabakina. And you look for Ashley Barty. Again, that 10.8% gap between her and Rabakina. That's the same gap as Rabakina and all the way with 17th place Layla Fernandez. So the gap between 1 and 2 is as big as the gap between 2 and 17. That's how much better Ashley Barty is at holding serve right now. Then everyone else in the women's game, of course, you look for, here's the number I had early over the last 52 weeks. She's holding serve 83.7% of the time. That's a 5.6% edge over second place Belinda Bencic. That gap, 5.6% is the same between Belinda Bencic and 14th place Anastasia Pavlchenkova. So again, over the last 52 weeks, it's two to, 1 to 2 gap is as big as 2 to 14 here in 2022, 1 to 2 gap is as big as 2-17. to 17. That's how dominant Ashley Barty's been on serve. Of course, she hasn't lost this season. A win in the warm-up event, a win at the Australian Open where she doesn't drop uh, a single set. It's disappointing, certainly, because part of the fun of this season and part of the fun over these last three, four seasons here on the WTA Tour has been seeing who steps up, emerges as that player to beat, the players to, you know, are over the next four or five seasons are going to, you know, major in, major out, big event in, big event out, be there at the end of tournaments. And of course, part of the fun of the WTA Tour has been the parody, the fact that, you know, one tournament, it's Ashley Barty, the next tournament, it's qualifier Emma Raducanu, and then, you know, the tournament before that, it's Barbara Krachikova, and, you know, then you get the Osaka runs as well. It's been a really exciting time in women's tennis. But of course, now as these players begin to enter and uh, their primes and solidify their spots and try to really, you know, assert themselves on tour, people like Annette Conteve looking at this sunshine swing. No, she hasn't had the big result at the majors, but she's done it everywhere else. And you look for Conteve, how can she not be considered given her run over these past few months, one of the favorites now entering the sunshine swing? She would have been ever anyway, but now 
she will have that additional burden of probably having you know a healthy percentage of people pick her to win this event or people like Iga Sviantek who now with her titles in the Middle East she's probably the most informed player entering this event and by the way you look over the last 52 weeks only one player ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage it's Iga freaking Sviantek and you know again by the way over those last 52 weeks and here in 2022 you know who's top 15 club Danielle Collins who's out of this event and has been a primetime performer and was looking at this opportunity as a way to seriously pick up some points here and perhaps make a top 10 push and it's really unfortunate just from a career trajectory standpoint here two events Miami where I believe she's made a semifinal run in the past Indian Wells you know she would have had the opportunity to make a serious run she would have been not the favorite but you know certainly someone who you'd see if the draw breaks right quarterfinals of course if the draw breaks right she could win the damn event but um, you know certainly in the mix and it's disappointing because given the fact that she was playing so well and in the mix you just feel like a top 10 push may have been in the cards and she has so many points to defend come the summer this is really the cherry picking opportunity for her pre-French Open and it's just unfortunate she's not going to get that chance so from her perspective just again there was a top 10 push in the cards her not being able to play certainly disappointing but with Barty out now who is the favorite is it Sviantek? Is it Conteve? Is it someone like an Ostapenko? Or, you know, is it a Simona Halep who's in the mix? What about Paula Bedosa, who was so excellent there last season? There's a lot of fun ways Indian Wells plays out. And certainly, again, when you have uh, Ashley Barty in the mix, you feel like you have a definitive favorite. Let's not forget about wildcard recipient and would will be unseated at the event, former champion Naomi freaking Osaka, who's going to be in the field now. Is she now the favorite? Because we're back on a hardcore. And, you know, let's not forget how freaking well Amanda Nisimova had to play to beat her at the U.S. Open. And, you know, again, did we get the Barty osaka matchup we were hoping for? No. But did, did I think Naomi Osaka played poorly? Or no, I thought Naomi, uh, and Amanda Nisimova played particularly well. It's going to be fascinating, folks. And again, it's very disappointing we don't don't get to see Barty because as she wants to assert herself as that definitive number one, another, you know, if she would have won one one of these two titles, you probably still feel, and I mean, she's still the definitive number one, certainly given the injuries, and I don't think anyone can pass her even if they sweep the titles. Um, She's going to remain world number one. Uh, But, you know, as she begins and continues to try and anecdotally assert herself as the player to beat would have been great to see her in this stretch and again if she made like a quarterfinal and a final run or a title and whatever you feel like yeah no she's definitely the best player in the world right now and her being gone as always things remain wide open and I'm nursing of Andrusova winning the title take that I'll share I'll save for our preview pods but buckle in folks it's gonna be really really fun a few days at Indian Wells, certain a uh, few days, few couple of weeks uh, during this sunshine swing. That was off court piece of news number one, and yeah, Andy Murray got a wild card into Indian. You know, the wild cards into Indian Wells. I don't think were particularly newsworthy. Uh, the fact that Naomi Osaka got one is not surprising. The fact that she needs one perhaps is, although again, context wise, it's not surprising. Just given we all know how good she is, it's surprising. But yeah, it, it, I'm really looking forward to that event beginning. And again, we'll try to get you all some preview coverage of that as soon as we can. You look at some of the other stuff here. Uh, again, off court. Novak Djokovic now coachless. Seeing Marin Vida part ways. Do I feel particularly strongly about this? No, I don't. Because Novak Djokovic, 
beyond anything else, is such a tactician out on court, such a thinker, and his improvisational abilities, his ability to read, react, take away the thing his opponent wants to do best, regardless of who that opponent is, from Rafael Nadal all the way through, I was going to say to Yuri Veshley, but uh, I guess not against Yuri Veshley, but you, you guys get the broader point I'm trying to make here. I think... You know, tactically, does this affect him on court? Only in the fact that when he turns to his box, you know, his coach will not be there. It will be someone new. It will be a different voice. And that voice pushing him in practice, match in, match out, what that voice is stressing. You know, again, to a certain extent, you're not going to change the way, you know, no coach is going to come in and say, Novak, you're now a serve and volleyer. You're serving and volleying on first serve, second serve, you're returning and volleying, you're getting to the net in three shots or less. A coach would tell Novak Djokovic to do that. And then Novak Djokovic would say, I appreciate your words, we are not going to be working together moving forward. Obviously, Novak Djokovic has that sort of command of his game. For him, he's just looking for a spark, some sort of new voice, some sort of, you know, fun and, well, fun is projecting. I don't know if he's looking for a fun voice, but just something fresh. Clearly, that's what it inspires a coaching change is when you need to hear something new, something that makes you uncomfortable, but not uncomfortable in a negative connotation, uncomfortable in that it forces you out of your comfort zone, forces you to try new things, forces you to look at things from a different perspective. That's what Novak Djokovic is looking for. And can you blame him coming off of a season where he won three major titles made you know a fourth final and was one match away from completing a, a grand you know four slam the calendar slam there it is that's the term of the calendar slam in a single season you can understand why he needs something new something to just again give him that extra kick in the butt and coach Vida will always be there and I, you know again they've split in the past and come back together but you know at this point maybe he's just looking for a fresh voice and you can understand that now you know, again, given everything that's happening off court right now for Novak Djokovic, there will be some who say he needs stability more than anything else. I don't feel comfortable projecting that onto Novak Djokovic. I don't know what Novak Djokovic needs. If he believes he needs a new voice and I think you can understand his reasoning for that, then you understand this decision. Again, I don't feel particularly strongly. Given Novak Djokovic is, what, 34, turns 35 this season? What is there, you know, again, what is there that someone can say to him that he doesn't already know? I think more than anything else you would imagine at that stage of his career, it's motivation, it's slight adjustments, it's perhaps someone who's been through that stage of a career before. It will be interesting to see who Novak Djokovic turns to. Now that speculation gets fun. Who does Novak Djokovic turn to here to put in his coaching box? Man, how hilarious would it be and would never happen if Federer is just like, you know what? My knee, it's not getting better. Novak, I want you to pass Rafa. Let me get in the box. Let me get back in this dynamic. I think that's the most fun option. It'll never happen, and there's no reporting on it ever happening. Let's be clear here. But, man, wouldn't it be fun? Isn't that the most fun coaching replacement for Novak Djokovic from an option perspective? I may have to tweet that out just to get the people going here Friday. Uh, maybe I'll do that like early Friday morning or something just to get the weekend off on the right uh, note. I mean, again, that's the question. Who does he want there? There are obvious – I mean, there are so many names you could throw out there. I don't think he would be looking for an Yvonne Lendl type, right? I don't think he would be looking for a Danny Valverde type or a Jez Green type. That's not the sort of coach he needs in his box right now. Or maybe it is. <laughs> again, it's it's tough to speculate without knowing more on the situation. And so, you know, again, that will be interesting. 
I mean, you, I do imagine it will be someone with significant ATP playing experience. I don't think he turns to a career coach now. I think he turns to a guy who's been top 15, top 10 in the world, or a guy from his generation who understands Novak perhaps best. You know, Maybe it's a Tipsarovich or someone of that nature, someone or a Troisky, someone he's been close with, who knows his game, knows what gets him going. Uh, but it'll be an interesting thing to monitor. Don't think it affects his level. And again, is he playing the Sunshine Swing? Do we have definitive reporting on that yet? I don't think we do. So that's something certainly to monitor as well moving forward. But that's your off-court news. Let's move to the on-court stuff now. Let's talk first about the WTA action happening in Mexico. And in particular, let's start with Alina Svitolina, who plays the match of the day. 7-6, 3-6, 6-2 victory over Victoria Tomova. And, you know, you look for Svitolina... Did she play particularly well? No. She made 58% of her first serves. She won only 38% of her second serve points. You know, was 7 of 19 on breakpoint chances. And on the one aspect, you say, hey, you had 19 breakpoint chances. The fact is also, though, she had 12 of them not go her way. Um, at the same time, the physicality she brought and just the determination and the mentality in that third set where, you know, there was no sort of brick wall for her. She ran right through that from an energy perspective and her footwork was, you know, disciplined and relentless and just tracking down the extra ball, forcing to move into uncomfortable positions and playing an extra shot, the depth on her return of serve. That's been the story for Lena Svitolina over these last 52 weeks. And I know I talked about this a bit yesterday, but you look for Svitolina you know, again, over these last 52 weeks now, pretty solid numbers across the board. She's now 37-21 and 21 overall. She's winning 64% of her matches. Good, not great. That'll keep you top 20, but it's hard to make a big jump into the top 10 unless you're winning 70 or 70-plus percent of your matches. You look at her from a numbers perspective. The good news, again, last season she held 74.5% of the time. That was a career high for her. That was a top 25 sort of number. She also had a career low in terms of break percentage, 31.9%. Now, that number has rebounded here this year. She's back up to 39.8, which is above her career average. And you look for her right now amongst top you know, 50 players, Alina Svitolina, right on the cusp of that top 25 club. The reason she's not in uh, the top 25 club is you look for her. It's her uh, hold, uh, excuse me, it's her hold percentage right now, Alina Svitolina, 27th in hold percentage, but she is still 20th in break percentage. So she still does that fairly well when she's playing her best tennis. Now, you look at her on serve to start this season. She's been okay. Nothing too spectacular. Holding serve 67% of the time, which is below where she was last season. But, you know, right around her career average. I think the key thing is just, again, match in, match out. It's a little bit tougher for her because she still never developed that, you know, routine plus one weapon, right? That has never been a part of her arsenal. She's never been someone who overwhelms with pace or just you know blasts through you. She's a counterpuncher. She's someone who does have unexpectedly good pop because she is such an incredible athlete when she goes big down the line. And, you know, she is someone who can beat you from the outer thirds of the court with her improvisational ability. But she's not someone who's, you know, just the obvious Elena Rabakina, middle of the rally, you give me a neutral ball, it's now on my terms, or an Arena Sabalenka sort of dictator. And she doesn't have the craft of someone like a Kenan or, you know, maybe quite the angles of, in uh, in the, the, the rotation on the ball of a Marquette of Andrusva. She's much more linear line drive sort of player. Uh, but again, she's just so relentless. And, you know, I talked about this at the top. 
you in in every one of her press conferences and she talks about in her post-match interviews as well and you can just see again she's playing inspired tennis right now there's a no quit attitude for Svitolina and I know that's projecting a lot how can you quantify no quit but just the way she played in that third set again she really struggled even in set number one taking that first set in a breaker was not serving particularly well and you know, found herself waiting and trying to generate Tomova errors and just trying to extend rallies. And thankfully, she was capable of doing just that. But, you know, again, against, you know, she just kept, she kept wearing Tomova down, extending rallies, shot after shot after shot. And eventually, it broke Tomova, who the errors started to pile up for in the third set. And then, again, that Tomova doesn't bring the biggest serve onto the court, and Svitolina punished that. She was so disciplined in changing her targets on the return of serve, the depth she got on the return of serve. Alina Svitolina is still the complete package. Now, again, there are some players who you feel like have now can match her physically, right? The Sakaris of the world, the Conteves of the world, who may even have a little bit more natural pop and slightly bigger weapons in their game. And then there are the players like the Rabakinas and the Sabalenkas and obviously the Osaka's of the world and Ashley Barty who can do all of these things who have either matched or maybe even surpassed Fidelina at this point. But when she plays her best, she is still in the ballgame. And you can tell just right now, mentally, she is locked in. And, you know, again, given everything happening in her home country, just how can you not be inspired by the performance of Svitolina, who, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, is still the favorite to win the event. You look at it, heading into the final round, Svitolina 32.2, a quarterfinal round, excuse me, Svitolina, 32.2% favorite. Layla Fernandez, who's advanced to the quarterfinals to take on Chang Wang, and she played an impressive three-set match against Chen Wenzheng, who is playing so well right now and just swinging so freely and hits a massive ball, and Fernandez managed to survive in three. Uh, you look for Fernandez, she's a 26% uh, favorite, and she's got Chang Wang next, who got a win over Meyer Sharif. Beatrice Maya continues to play well. That ITF success, building back up her ranking, she's won like 74% of her matches, and she's played like 100 matches over the last 52 weeks. Uh, she's into the quarterfinals. Nice win over Shin Yu Wang. Uh, she now is going to take on the winner of Buzkova Martic. That match still not finished. Uh, again, lefty, just this altitude, this atmosphere, these conditions, the ball flies off of the racket of uh, Beatrice Haddad Maya. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I would probably put her as the favorite against Buzkova. Just given how much tennis Buskov has played the past 10 days. And then, you know, again, against the one-handed backhand of Martich, give me the lefty here in Haddad Maya. On the top half, Teld Form, all the seeds advance. Cerebes Tormo, your number four seed. She's been Cerebes Tormo. She does seem to be going a little bit bigger earlier in rallies. But again, for her, it's physicality. She just, she's in for the grind. She's going to take on Nuria Perez-Diaz in a match that's guaranteed to be at least two hours. And then your match of the day in Mexico tomorrow, Svitolina versus Kami Osorio. I mean, come on, Osorio going to – again, does Fidelina have bigger weapons off the ground than Osorio? Maybe. I mean, she certainly has – hits the ball flatter, but I would argue Osorio's ball is more dynamic. I think Osorio finds the angles better. I think there's more variety in what Osorio does from the baseline. Neither is serving particularly well right now. That is a fascinating quarterfinal matchup, a matchup which, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, unsurprisingly – Svitolina, a 74.5% favorite in that match. But that is your action happening over in Mexico. Let's switch gears now. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Talk about the action happening in France, and it's another Ukrainian, Diana Yastremska, the big hitting. Crazy to say now for Yastremska, despite all, you know, as long as she's been a part of our tennis consciousness, she's still just 21 years old, is Yastremska. And you look for her now, you know, uh, obviously was out last season with a suspension due to a PED. And I know she had her reasoning as for why she didn't believe the result of that test. We're not going to relitigate that now. But you look for her over these past couple of weeks. Qualifies in Dubai. Really impressive win over Clara Tawson uh, in a match she ultimately ends up taking in three sets. And beats Barbara Krejcikova as well before getting knocked up by Mandrusova. Here she beats Anna Bogdan in three sets. Now a two and three win over Kristina Buska. Uh, Buska. She's just hitting the ball so cleanly, you know, striking the ball so big right now. And that's what Yastrzemska does best. She does have that FU sort of power. And, you know, again, you look for her to start the season. Qualifies in Adelaide. A win over Ali Vanutvenink in qualities before getting knocked out by Martin Sova. Now her 1-6-0-6, you know, 6-1-0-6-5 love loss to Madison Brangle in Australia. Who knows what happened in that match? But you look for Diana Yastrzemska, who back in 2019 went 33 and 21, and she was 17 and 12 in 2020. The injuries, the suspension, the wheels fell off the wagon for the 21-year-old last season. No one has ever denied the ball striking ability, the power tennis that Yastrzemska is able to play. And again, she had to flee Ukraine, flee her home with her little sister. And now she's into another quarterfinal here in Lyon. What an inspirational story despite everything she's been through. And she has been in plenty of controversies. I think this is all something we can root for this week. And, you know, again, no one's ever denied the power tennis Yastrzemska has been able to play. And now she's the second favorite to take the title. Kirstea, 25.3% chance to win. We talked about her yesterday. She's going to take on Anna Bondar in the quarterfinals. Yastrzemska is going to take on Jasmine Paolini. She's a 61.2% favorite there. Shui Zhang going to take on Vitalia Dietchenko. Dietchenko, an impressive three-set win over Victoria Golubic. Zhang now 57.3% favorite. Then you've got Ali Van Utvenk versus Caroline Garcia, and the winner of that is the favorite to emerge, according to Tennis Abstract, out of the top half. And for Caroline Garcia, God, did she need a couple of wins here. And with this quarterfinal, Garcia going to hold strong in the top 75, currently at number 73. A win this week gets her back into the top 60 if she wins the title. You look for Caroline Garcia. I mean, it's been a struggle over the last 52 weeks. The 28-year-old, 27 and 26 over her last 52, again, down to number 74 in the world. But slowly but surely, quarterfinals in Sydney to start the year, round of 32 in Doha, quarterfinals now in Lyon. She's getting victories again. You look at who the losses are to this year. She's lost to Krejcikova twice, Coco Goff. Haley Baptiste and Sevastova, but let's focus on the big ones. Krejcikova and Coco Goff, you know, matches she played pretty close as well. 
Garcia slowly rounding into form, certainly, uh, I think, a top 100 caliber player, even when she's struggling, just has that those sort of weapons, that sort of size. So good to see her back into a quarterfinal. Then again, never sleep on Ali Van Utvenk, who's just been sneaky consistency and, uh, you know, again, has solidified a spot in the top 60. And if you're in the top 60, you're making good money. And that's what Van Utvenk has done. She's crafted, again, the sort of career I think every junior aspires to have. She's a pro's pro. And just, again, very well-rounded, good moving forward. She'll put Garcia under pressure. The story, two stories, again, if Kirstea wins the title this week, new career high, age 32, how crazy that would be uh, for her to crack the top 24 the first time. And then Yastrzemska, certainly, just seeing her this run, given everything happening in her life. That's the action, though, and where things stand in France. And again, the big wins from Diachenko over Golubic. I actually think Shui Zhang's win over Aranksa Rus 4 and 4. Pretty impressive as well. But that's your WTA action happening this week again, Mexico and France. Before I go, I want to preview the action we have on our Crack Rackets SEC Tennis Red Zone tomorrow. And look, we've got fantastic matches starting at 10 a.m., going all the way through 6 p.m. Eastern time starts. And let me just run through them. And we look on the day, I believe we have 12 matches that will be broadcasting. Starts 10 a.m. Eastern time, Auburn versus LSU. That's a men's match. Then we get into a fun one, folks. Mississippi State going to take on Tennessee for the women at noon. Georgia versus Vanderbilt going to take on in a men's match 2 p.m. Eastern time again. All these matches Eastern time. Uh, so to recap, just because I didn't clarify that, 10 a.m. Eastern, Auburn versus LSU men. 11 a.m. Eastern, Mississippi State versus Tennessee women. 12 p.m. Eastern time, A&M men going to take on Incarnate Ward. 2 p.m. Eastern time, Georgia going to take on the Vanderbilt men. Then we get into our afternoon session, and it again, the action only heats up on the men's side. Mississippi State taking on number three, Tennessee. That's a 3 p.m. Eastern time match. Excuse me, number three in our poll. I believe number two, according to the computer poll. You've got Auburn versus the Vanderbilt women happening then as well. 4 p.m. Eastern time, South Carolina versus the Texas A&M women. Texas A&M top 10 school, according to our Cracked Rackets poll. South Carolina, of course, with a top five player in the country. In freshman, Sarah Hamner. Then you've got the 5 p.m. Eastern hour, and that is where things get spicy. You've got a Kentucky versus Alabama men's women's double header. You've also got Florida taking on the South Carolina men. Florida again, you know, versus South Carolina. That's a top eight matchup. Florida, uh, you know, certainly the defending NCAA champion, South Carolina, upstart, upstart really towards the elite of college tennis with Paul Jubb winning the NCAA title in 2019. Daniel Rodriguez, a finalist last year in singles. That, they were excellent at the national indoors, and it's going to be really fun to see that SEC, you know, again, top 10 matchup on our hands. And then the 6 p.m. hour, Florida women going to take on LSU, Arkansas going to take on Texas A&M. I know that's a lot of matches for you, 12 in total. The ones I want to lock in on in particular, Florida taking on South Carolina. You look for this Florida team, 7-2 and two overall in the year. Certainly, if you're looking for, you know, glass half full, take their 7-2 and two and their two losses were 4-3 at TCU where they lost to the eventual national indoor champions indoors on the road first match of the season they then lose a match 4-3 versus Texas first match of the national indoor weekend again indoors a team that they had beaten 4-3 at Texas earlier in the season really tough to beat a team twice in a year really tough to do it in a three-week span as well the good news, if you're a Gator fan, they bounce back 4-2 over Virginia 4-2 over Georgia as well and 
You know, again, what's clear about this Florida team, they're nowhere close to peaking. You look for them just across the board. Sam Riffis, the defending NCAA singles champ, up to the number one single spot this season, justifiably so. He's 4-4 four and four on the year. And look, Micah Braswell just outplayed him on day number one. But if you look for Riffis, he has bounced back. He has started to play better tennis of late. Gets the win over Inaki Montez. Now, again, he did drop a match to Hamish Stewart uh, of Georgia in that 4-2 victory for the team. He's just not playing his best tennis right now. And you certainly look for him to get back outdoors. I mean, that's a matchup. On paper, you feel like, okay, we always like Sam Riffis going into these matches, but you look at who he's facing, Daniel Rodriguez, the defending NCAA singles finalist, who's 12-2 and overall on the year and 9-1 and at the number one single spot here in the dual match season. South Carolina perhaps is uniquely positioned to not only match the strength of Florida up top in a normal scenario, but given the Gators have not yet played their best tennis up top, perhaps South Carolina is well positioned to take advantage of that fact with a guy like Rodriguez at one. And you look for the Gators who are five and three at the number two spot. Ben Shelton, who was there at the National Indoor Weekend, 17 and three overall on the year, six and two in the dual match season, but three and two at the number two single spot. Compared to South Carolina, where Toby Samuel seven and two overall at the number two spot, and Samuel taking a jump forward this year, he was so good at the national indoors. Again, you feel like South Carolina is playing well enough to perhaps if Shelton, who played in all three clinching matches at the national indoors, uh, you know if he's not playing his best tennis. South Carolina is going to be able to capitalize. Now, again, on paper, you feel like Florida should always win the number three spot, whether it's Riffis, Shelton, Valle playing there, whoever it is should always win that, right? They're five and two at that number three spot. Duarte had a tough national indoor weekend. He's two and two overall at the three spot for the season. You look for South Carolina, again, Connor Thompson has taken another leap forward, 21-6 and six overall in the year, 9-2 and two at the three-single spot. And, you know, again, for Connor Thompson and, and South Carolina at these spots, they're not just cupcake wins. You look at where they're getting these victories for, you know, Rodriguez, who's been able to hang with everyone, of course, but for Connor Thompson and Toby Samuel, who each got wins over Wake Forest and each got wins over Stanford as well and, you know, got a win, you know, did Thompson over Kentucky at that number three spot Yes, they were playing without Liam Draxel, but that's still another good victory. South Carolina's been able to hang. Yeah, they lost two and three against Tennessee, but you know, again, the numbers speak for themselves. And you know, Tennessee has outplayed Florida at the top three thus far. Or I know we're playing transitive properties here, but the point being, South Carolina is playing well enough to not only not be intimidated, but perhaps capitalize on the recent form of the top three. At the same time. This is why this match is so fascinating, because at any moment, defending NCAA champion Sam Riffis, Kalamazoo finalist, Futures winner, IT All-American champ Ben Shelton, top 10 player and All-American in the country last season, Duarte Valle, the moment they start playing well, the moment they turn it on, Florida becomes Florida again. And that could happen at any moment. And now with the start of the SEC season and the likelihood that these matches are going to be played outdoors, which we can be honest, is where the Gators want to be. Now it's time for Florida to turn on the Jets. Now it's time for them to start getting into SEC winning mode, SEC tournament mode. You know, it's conference play time, and there are no light matches in the SEC. And so certainly at the top three, that's going to be interesting. Now you look for the Gators this season. Yeah, they're no longer undefeated at four and six the way they were last year. But Andy Andrade, seven and one at the four spot. He's been as good as advertised. Even when the matches are close, he's still been the guy coming out on top. 
They're five and one at the five spot. Matias Simar with most of those victories. He's four and one there. The former Michigan Wolverine and transfer here in his fifth year to Florida. He, he's fitting like a hand in a glove to have the lefty who's so solid off of both wings. He's never going to lose you a match at five. And just, again, you feel very comfortable if you're Seymour there. And then you look for the Gators, who are 6-2 and two by committee at the number six spot. But, of course, Josh Gujer was undefeated there last season. Lefty, big game outdoors. The power Tennessee can play. They still got it at the bottom of the lineup, and you look for South Carolina. I mean, that's where they've struggled comparatively, 8-4, and 8-4, and 7-5 and five at 4-5 and 6. Now, Raphael Lambling played great at the National Indoors, and he's 6-4 and four overall at the number four spot here this season, 8-4 and four overall in the dual match season altogether, 15-8 and eight overall in singles on the year. I mean, again, the, with the aggression he plays, he'll put Andrade under pressure, and if you can get Andy Andrade thinking and you know, Lambling's going to capitalize on the Andy Andrade second serve, which definitely sits up there at times. Uh, and Lambling's going to put him under pressure. And so that's going to be an interesting matchup there at four. And, you know, James Story, the transfer from Memphis, who was so excellent last season at the number one spot there, he started to find his rhythm at the National Indoors, earning victories over Stanford and Tennessee to beat Shinsuke Mitsui. That's an incredible victory for Story. He started around into form. That's an interesting match against Seymour. And then, you know, again, whether it's Beasley, whether it's Carter Morgan, you imagine it's going to be Jake Beasley against Josh Gujer. Beasley's starting to play better as well. You look for Jake Beasley at the indoors. Win over Tennessee, win over Kentucky. You look for Beasley overall in the season, 4-2 and two at that sixth spot. He's won two in a row. I mean, again, South Carolina comes into this playing really good tennis, and they're 10-1 and one at the number one double spot, 8-2 and two at the number three double spot. You look for the Gators. They're 4-4 four and four at one, 5-4 at two, 4-4 four four at three. They have not been playing well in doubles. And just, again, with how good all these teams are at the top of college tennis this season, it's really hard to find four singles victories against anyone. South Carolina probably has to go two and one at the top three, no matter what. Win the doubles, lose the doubles. Two and one's the number in those top three spots. They really need that doubles point then because to ask them to go two and one at the bottom three against this Florida team ever is going to be extraordinarily difficult for any team to pull off. But they can absolutely – they're the favorites just given their forms at one and three doubles over South uh, over the Gators entering this match. And again, with that 1-0 lead – Absolutely, they can earn wins at any of the spots in the top three. You know, Story's playing really well at five. Lambling's going to attack at four. Beasley at six. This is a barn burner, folks. You know, again, this is a litmus test for Florida. Do they bounce back and establish themselves as one of the elite of the elites here in college tennis? Yeah, the win over Virginia was impressive, but Virginia struggled this season. You know, they lost five straight. Yes, to all top five opponents, but they were in the midst of a losing streak. And, you know, again, for the Gators to beat Georgia 4-2, Georgia's been struggling this year. They, You know, yes, they just earned a big win over Texas, a Texas team that's still not at full strength with an injured Elliott Spaziri, but, and I know we can play transitive properties here, even though the Gators just beat Georgia, but I, I'm not sold on Georgia. And Florida just didn't play well. I test. You could just tell they weren't playing their best at the national indoors. Every guy was struggling. And now we're outdoors. And this match is in Gainesville. This is a chance for Florida to step up. I'm excited to see the defending national champions and how they do so. I'm excited to see the challenger, the new kids on the block. South Carolina just going to come out swinging. That's a fascinating match that, again, is part at 5 p.m. Eastern time. You can find it on the Florida or South Carolina college tennis 
uh, pages uh, on their team websites. Some of the other matches I want to talk about, again, 12 of them, all extraordinarily fun on the day. Uh, I want to go in another men's match here, Tennessee versus Mississippi State. How good is the 9-3 and Mississippi State Bulldog team? And, you know, you look for this team certainly at the number one spot this year. Flo, Florin Broska has stepped up to that spot, and Flo is that connective thread to the Nuno Borges years, the teams that were winning SEC tournament titles and making NCAA quarterfinals. He's 8-2 and two at the one spot. He's playing extraordinarily well. Nemanja Melcevic, 9-1 and one at the two spot. He's playing extraordinarily well. They're, you know, overall 19-10 and 10, uh, across the three flights in doubles. You're winning two-thirds of your doubles flights. You're winning a lot of doubles points. You know, they've been solid throughout the course of this year, and they found points in different ways. But Tennessee, you know, again, and in particular, they've been really solid up top. You know, but Tennessee's going to flex the, you know, Tennessee's going to stress you everywhere, in particular at the top. They can match that strength of Mississippi State. And you feel like Mississippi State probably has to win one and two if they're going to win this match. And, you know, to ask to go one and two over a guy in Adam Walton, who, you know, has lost two matches this year, and to ask to go one and, two, you know, two and one, excuse me, uh, or one uh, to win a match against Johannes Monday, who you look overall on the season as 11 and one in dual matches played this year. Good luck sweeping them at the top two spots where where they've made their money throughout the course of this year. And, you know, you look elsewhere uh, at that number three spot, the team now uh, eight and four overall there. But, you know, Emil Hud, big serving. Again, the, the stress he can put on you there, the veteran, he's seen it all. And Shinsuke Mitsui has taken a couple of losses at the National Indoors, but he's coming in hot seven and two at that number five spot. And he's still 20 and six overall in the year in singles. And, you know, again, Angel Diaz has fit in. In, in the lineup, even no Blaze Bicknell, no Martin Prada, doesn't seem to matter. Connor Glennon's been playing really well of late, and you know you look for Glennon. Yes, he's three and three overall on the dual match season, sixteen and eight overall in singles. But you can just see what that match against Louis Maxted, winning that second set and not being knocked out in straights, what that meant for his confidence. He's starting to play much better as well. You know, again, it's interesting because on paper you feel like Mitsui. Glennon, Diaz, right? They're untested in the bottom three of Tennessee. And certainly for Mississippi State, they've got a lot of new guys they're working in in the bottom three as well. And we've seen a bunch of different guys play uh, in different spots throughout the course of this year, whether it's Ram or, you know, again, Alberto or any of these guys on the roster, David Totora, uh, Totora, excuse me. Coach Roberts is still playing around for this Mississippi State team. It's going to be fascinating what he goes with here as they got to flex their guns against, you know, again, the best of the best here in the SEC, the highest ranked SEC team in Tennessee. This match, of course, being played, I believe, at home here. Oh, excuse me. No, no, no. Yeah, this match, I believe, is being played at home. Let me look this up. I want to make sure I'm right here for uh, this matchup being played, excuse me, in Starkville. Yeah, so at Mississippi State. Certainly, again, they have an active crowd, an engaged crowd, and can they get under this Tennessee team's skin? It's going to be hard to do. Tennessee certainly the talent edge on paper, but how good is this Mississippi State team? We haven't seen them really tested yet. You know, certainly in the losses this year, 4-2 at Kentucky, you know, 6-1 at TCU, and then a 5-2 loss against Florida State. 
Outside of that, they've played Jackson State and Jacksonville State, North Alabama, Tennessee Tech. They had a really nice 4-1 win over Memphis and a 5-2 win over Middle Tennessee. But outside of those, I guess a 4-1 win over Arkansas on the kickoff weekend. But I still want to see this team tested against a top 10 opponent, which you know they were once against ten- at TCU. And that was a closer match than the 6-1 final scoreline indicated. So I'm excited to see this match at home for Mississippi State taking on Tennessee. Again, that men's match uh, happening uh, 3 o'clock in Starkville. You can be able to find it on the team website. Other match I want to talk about is a women's match. This Florida women's team, how good are they? You know, are they the favorites entering this SEC conference play? And, you know, you look at this SEC, certainly Georgia, three and two, but they're super talented, whether it's the Kowalski and, you know, Kopik returning. And, you know, you throw in, uh, who am I blanking out here? Leah Ma as well, or the freshman, whether it's, uh, you know, again, they've got two outstanding freshmen, Mel Riasco. Um, point being, you look for th- this SEC conference, you know, Texas A&M loses to Cal at the National Indoors. They win their next two, but we didn't get to see them earn a signature win. You look for this Florida team, played two really close matches, lost to Virginia 4-2, win a dramatic doubles point, but lose to Ohio State 4-3. They bounce back with a 4-0 win over Washington, but... You know, we didn't get to see them play in Oklahoma or or earn a victory over a team like that or an NC State or even, again, in Ohio State or a Virginia. And, you know, yeah, they've played Florida State a couple of times. They played USF and North Florida, who are solid teams, but their Baylor match got canceled. And now they get a road test at LSU. It's the team's first match since the National Indoors, and certainly in those first two matches, you could tell the youth of this team. In particular, you look at the bottom uh, for this team, whether it was Sydney Berlin or just you know again the various options they were turn- turning to. Because certainly you know what you're getting with Marley Zane, and you know what you're getting with McCartney Kessler. Or excuse me, not Sydney Berlin, but whether it was you know again some of the freshmen in uh, thank you in Spee or you know again the newcomers uh, in Emma Shelton to their lineup. Just you know again still seeing and. What options are they going to turn to at the bottom of their lineup, whether it is a Sydney Berlin or whether, you know, again, where, where are you going to start playing everyone if you're Coach Thornquist? Because there are a lot of new pieces you're working in this year. And again, you just haven't played that many matches so far this year if you are Florida. And certainly, you know, part of that is through no fault of their own. That Baylor match gets canceled. But 7-2 and two through this portion of the season. And again, two really good matchups, 4-2 at Virginia, where you played a bunch of matches tight and you certainly feel like... You know, again, you had your chances in that match, whether it was, you know, the fact that four matches go to three sets, right? And, you know, Alicia Dudney is 3-5 with Chervinsky, but plays that match really close in the third. Zane gets a three-set win over Subosh. Kessler takes Navarro to a third set. You know, Carly Briggs is in a third set at five. Cindy Berlin plays a really close match at six. You then look the next day against, uh, you know, again, uh, Ohio State. They have three matches go three sets. And that day, it's Briggs at five and Spee at six. And, you know, again, Shelton at four that day. And they just haven't seemed to quite find that order at the four, five, six positions quite yet. Now, I do think they've, they know Kessler, Dudney, Zane. You feel pretty good about that top three against just about anyone. Not exceptional, but you still feel like we got a chance to win all three of those matches against anyone we face. But how good are these Gators? You know, again, are they on the Texas A&M Georgia level? Are they a tier below that, kind of in a tier two on them on their own, or maybe around with Vanderbilt uh, this year in the SEC? Or are they, you know, the Tennessees of the world? Or are they that top tier elite team that we've seen them been throughout the course of the past 
well, forever in Florida women's tennis history, excluding a brief blip these past couple of seasons. They had it on the road against an LSU team that's one and four and an LSU team. Now you look at that one and four, a loss against a Tennessee, a loss against, you know, again, some really good teams thus far. This year, it's not as though, you know, they've, I mean, certainly, you know, they'd like that lost 4-0 at Rice back, but, you know, their losses this year to UCF, to Oklahoma State, to Tennessee, uh, none of those are inexcusable losses in my, to UCF, you know, and I believe that UCF matches at, uh, uh, at home, but, you know, still not, I don't think that's a poor loss. Their two-lane match got canceled. They earned their first victory of the season last weekend, 4-2 at home against Southern, you know, again, now you're at home against an SEC opponent. You look for this team, Sophia Carrington. You know, she's seven and five overall in the season, and Ababek eight and four overall in the season. But everyone else is either 500 or worse in their singles lineup. They're 33 and 46 overall in singles, four and 14 on the dual match season. They're three and nine in dual match season in doubles. They've already played seven different doubles combinations. Look, this team is searching for answers. They've been through some tough times, and let's be frank here: if Florida is a top 10 team, that they think they can be, and certainly they have the talent to be, they should blitz these LSU Tigers. At the same time, this is an LSU team that was a you know a whisker away from the round of 16 last season. Very, very came close to knocking off my Wolverines and were right in the mix last year. And they've played a really tough schedule this season. So I do think those numbers are misleading and they're a far more talented team than those numbers would indicate. But again, Florida at LSU, uh, that's a 3 p.m. Eastern time match. That should be a fun one, folks. So we hope you'll tune in again. 12 matches. Our coverage starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Our last match goes on at 6 p.m. Eastern. Get ready, folks. We've got a full day of coverage set for you. All that action available on the SEC team websites. And, of course, we'll be back to recap it all as well. But with all that said, if you have missed out on anything that's happened over the past few weeks in the tennis world, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on all of the action if you need the more immediate coverage. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- an editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 